Welcome to the Aikidojo podcast. I am David Ito, Chief Instructor of the Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And with me is... Bill D'Angelo, Aikido Fourth Don, Aikido Center of Los Angeles. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Sensei. How are you today? I'm doing well. So what should we talk about? Well, we've got a topic that I was going to ask you. What We're now in our second season. Do we know how many we've done so far? Twelve. Okay. The reason I ask is... When I think of today's topic, I think it could have been a very early topic and somehow it escaped us or eluded us. But the question is, or the topic is, how do we handle um, injuries in our Aikido practice? Oh, well, that's kind of an interesting topic. Um, injuries have a deep meaning in martial arts training. So Sensei, uh, in my preparation for today, I came across um, a very interesting study that was done in Japan in the mid 80s. And the study uh, covered injuries, the extent of injuries in Aikido practice in Japan. Mm -hmm. And from 1975 to 1985, there were seven recorded fatalities. Um, and there were numerous neurological damage injuries that weren't fatalities. Um, and then at the bottom, there were your, um, you know, your sprains, your tears, your pulls. Um, but I thought, you know, that's an interesting place to start looking at that, um, that chart that, that they produced uh, and, and using that as kind of a jumping off point for our discussion of injury. That's an interesting thing. But the, that, I don't know if that data is relevant to today. That, that was one of the first things that I thought of also. One of the things that's in the data is that all the serious injuries, the heavy neurological damage and the fatalities, were young practitioners, people in their first or second year of university. Um, there were no recorded fatalities from seasoned practitioners. Well, there's that's an interesting thing, but I don't even know if a seasoned practitioner in the from 1975 to 1985 still would, the same. Well, would actually report. Mm, interesting, right? Because because of how injuries are viewed in martial arts training. So what do you what do you think what what meaning can we take away? This is just, again this is just a place to start. Um, what's your impression having seen that chart and the extent of those injuries? I think the first thing you said was probably we have a different paradigm today in our in the practice of Aikido. Mm -hmm. How how is how are injuries different from today than you think than they were from the late seventies to early eighties? Well, in the old days, injury has meaning. Not just um, you should have moved here, you shouldn't have done that. You know, it's not it's not just you know um, a mistake. Injuries have have meaning. So in the old days, your first injury is your first hurdle in training. Mm, interesting. But when we think about like the causes of injury, right? You think it's either nage error, error, uke error, or teacher error. So. That's that's kind of what we hear from in, in this school. One of the things I thought, another data point that could go to what you're talking about is the two techniques that saw the most injuries in that chart were Shihonage and Iriminage. And in both, the injuries were head-related. So the person did Shihonage, threw them down, and they hit their head, the back of their head. In Iriminage, it's the same thing. They threw them down, they hit their head. Um, so the most serious injuries, it probably makes sense, were head injuries. 
but they came from those two techniques and, and that time period. Well, in that time period, where even in today, which is so relevant, the shuhonage and iriminage, the person isn't taking the proper ukemi. Mm. And then the person throwing them, that remember I said it's a nage problem, uke problem, teacher, teacher problem. The, the nage is not throwing them properly based on their level of ukemi ability. The uke is taking either the wrong ukemi or has not relayed to the nage that they can't take that ukemi. Right. And then the teacher is allowing it. So, you know, just thinking about these particular injuries, which is it's an interesting data point, and I want to get past that to talk about your experiences and my experiences with injuries, but um, do you think that one of the, the, I mean, it sounds like you think one of the causes is that is the problem with ukemi. Um, and the first thing that comes to my mind when that comes up is, um, we've all been to seminars and other places, we've had multiple teachers, even though we've had one main teacher. Uh, it seems a lot of the time, my experience, um, teachers don't teach the ukemi. Well, that's because prior to the 1970s, like in the, in the 1970s and prior to that time, they did not teach ukemi. At all. At all. Well, not at all, but they really But very did. little. Yeah. And then even Arikawa sensei told Yoshida sensei, um, there is no ukemi in Aikido. <laughs> what does that mean? That you, you throw to kill. Mm. You throw to maim. You, you know, you're supposed to throw them down to... Maximum damage. Yeah, well, to disable them, and then you're supposed to kill them, right? So there was no this, oh, I should let you off with this shihonage. Shihonage, you're supposed to make them hit their head. Hmm. Yeah, Iriminage, you're supposed to make them hit their head. Most most throws, you're supposed to throw them down to make them hit their head. And knock them out right. or disable well, them. No, you killed them afterwards. You lock... The t you locked the joint, you broke it, you threw them and killed them, or threw them down, disabled them, and then you killed them. Remember, this is this idea of before Osensei's enlightenment to Aikido being... Next level. To the next level, but Aikido being a um, philosophy of nonviolence. Right. Prior to this time, all this jujitsu and all those things, that those, these are battlefield moves. If you throw someone shihonage, you're supposed to break their arm and shoulder and knock them make out. them hit their head, and hopefully that killed them. And if they're not dead, you were supposed to kill them because we can't have people rising up on the battlefield. Right. So do you do you think, I mean, I, and again, I, I this is only a piece of data. It's only like 20 injuries or so. Um, do you think that the way Aikido's taught today, we're less likely to have those kinds of outcomes? You, it, we are less likely to have those outcomes because uh, people have changed the way the throw is thrown and the, how you take ukemi. Okay. So, for instance, uh, a lot of people roll uh, across their shoulders. Instead right. of over their shoulder, they roll across their shoulder. It's safer for your head, right, so that that could be an outcome from this study. But later on, when you want to take a break fall, you end up break falling flat because you're fl you're flopping out, right? Because you're you're ro you're rolling like this with your head this way and rolling that way, as opposed in the old days you rolled straight forward, looking forward and over your shoulder. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. <clears throat> so one of the other things that I saw in the study was they said that um, the number of repetitions of a technique led to injury. So if if we're you're teaching class and we're taking class and you're like 
okay, in the next 10, the last 10 minutes of class, you're just going to do Rimanage or Shihonage that, um, in fact, one of the, one of the injuries I read, they had been doing Shihonage for like 30 minutes straight after a four hour practice. So there was a four hour practice. And then in the last 30 minutes of the fifth hour, all they did was Shihonage. Um, and they, it's, they seem to imply that, that fatigue is a factor. Um, and re repeating the technique many times can sometimes lead to injury. And I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts about what that means or what, what could be going on in that data. Well, it's, it's not that the number of repetitions creates injury. It's the fatigue from the number of repetitions. So if you've done it so many times and you're so exhausted and that person finally rings your bell, that's how you get injured. Right. Right. But then that's the hard part. Repetition is what creates um, intuitive movement. Right. So you have to do it, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And shihonage is a gold standard maneuver. Right. Right. It's one where you can kill somebody with it. So you have to do it a lot, a lot, a lot. And then the uke has to get used to doing it a lot and taking it to kemi in order to not succumb to an injury. So do you think like for like shihonage, there, there, there are several types of ukemi. I mean, there's, there's falling down and, and um, protecting your body. There's break falls. Um, well, there's three types of ukemi for shihonage. shihonage. Stepping back, sitting down, and break fall. Right. Right, but the thing is that today, uh, sitting down is frowned upon because it, they think it's gonna hurt your tailbone. Really? Yeah, and then break fall is only for taller ukes with shorter nages. Hmm. Like for me to take someone who's six foot tall. It just makes sense. I have to jump over their shoulder. And then right. if if I'm gonna jump or if I'm gonna take that ukemi, they're gonna hurt me. So it's better for me to just sit down. Right. So from your per from your perspective, the the um, stepping back and sitting down, um, that's a very good ukemi for shihonage, even though it's somewhat. Well, it's not the up. very good ukemi that in the old days, if they're gonna throw you out, outward, to make you hit your head, you have to step back. Right. If they're gonna throw you straight down, drill you down to make you hit your head, you have to sit, sit down. down. Right. Right. But today, if I, if you're not a person who's athletically inclined. Sitting down is dangerous for your tailbone because you don't know how to protect your tailbone. Right. You can't protect on the way down. Well, and you know, we think we're picking on Shihonage, and it's not Shihonage's fault. It's that it's the way the person takes ukemi in all throws. It's the way you take ukemi for and sure. the way you and the way it's thrown, right? And so, if you're going to throw someone Shihonage, for instance, if we keep, keep picking on Shihonage. <clears throat> you have to put yourself into the right position. So you must take responsibility and you must take control of your body. As uke. As the uke. Right. As the nage, you should be throwing them in a way in which you still know you can really hurt them, but then you let them let them off at the last second. Right. But if you don't, and you don't care, and you throw with reckless abandonment... You're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. But in the old days, in the old days of Aikido, they only prescribed to one theory. What's that theory? Beat it out of them. <laughs> so if you took shihonage and you fell down weird, they go, well, I'm just going to pound you until so your you body right. falls correctly. So like Frida Sensei in the old days, if someone was apprehensive to take forward ukemi, Sensei would call that person up to take ukemi and oh. throw them like 50 times. Oh, man. 
And somewhere in that 50 times, you probably hit your head. But then also somewhere in that 50 times, you're, you relaxed and learned how to take the ukemi. So, you know, one of the other things I was thinking of when we were preparing to do today's session um, was, I mean, you've been practicing over 30 years, teaching over 20. Um, I, this is my 30th year. This is your 30th my year? 30th Congratulations. Year. Yeah, this next year will be my 30th year. Oh, next year. year. 20, 2023, coming, coming up on it. Um, what's, what's your experience with injuries? Um, either for yourself or in the dojo well, over, I mean, over your career? What is, how do you look at injury? What injuries have you experienced? Well, I've had like three to five concussions. And I say three to five because they're undiagnosed. But technically, if you hit your head and you lose consciousness, that's a grade, a grade one concussion. So I've had five of those. So I've had three to five concussions. I've So I've, before you go past that, what what were you doing and when in the techniques or the practice that got you injured can you so if you watch this video right that, that i'm playing um we're doing a randori for the usa network video of a steven seagal movie <laughs> so the interview sensei and then watanabe sensei does randori and then if you watch right in the middle of that of him throwing me and i'm about to break fall someone runs into me kills my momentum and then i go straight down and if you look my head hits the ground. I, I, I post and then I fall over. And I thought my neck was broken. It was, it, I mean, you had instant pain. It, well, uh, pain, shock, loss of consciousness. And for, for as soon as I got up, they said cut. And then they said, let's do it again. And I said, I don't think I can go, go any farther. And then I didn't know if my neck was broken or not. Because you can have an atlas and axis fracture. And that's why they say they, you, people are, get in a car accident and they're like waving cars by and then someone goes, are you all right? And they go, yuck. And they break their own neck. And so the whole time I was like, oh my God, I think I broke my neck. And then right after that, I had to teach this uh, famous actor, Aikido, and take Uzukemi for a whole hour. And the whole time I was like, please, please don't be broken, please. And then it turned out oh to be God. a really bad um, st sprain, strain, okay. uh, head, head injury, concussion. So do you think that, um, you know, we talked about Shihonage, we talked about Arimunage. Is there something about Randori? Is it the, the unknown of when you have multiple people, three to four or five people, that that creates um, in, an inherent risk because people can't control other people? Well, it's not that you can control other people. In that situation, like every concussion I've had was during demonstration, um, video shoot, or um, photo photography shoot. And were they all they were they all Rondori injuries? Well, what's not necessarily Rondori? Not no. I guess the answer is no. But they were, you know, you were trying to get height for video. The, the for, effect you for were the trying effect. to get a really good look. Yeah. One of the one of my um, concussions. Fru since he made this book uh, for the Blackwell magazine called the Dao Vaikido. It never came out. And like in this picture, you can see me like getting full air. My foot is like above Fru Sensei's head and he's like five, six, five, seven. So it's pretty high. It's pretty high. And then he, they were shooting 48 exposures on this roll and every exposure I'm, I'm catching air. And then one of them, I hit my head, I walk off the mat, I sit down and it was like, you know, this, this uh, episode from Lost, like, 
And then all these people are yelling at me, what are you doing? What are you get back And you don't know there? what's going on. And now they go, what? And then I just ran back in there, sent you through me one more time. And then I like practically out. passed out. And then he just started throwing Ken. <laughs> but like for that moment, when I sat down, I don't even remember getting up, walking to the chair, sitting down. I was knocked out on my feet. So if we're in a practice environment and someone is injured like you are, you're saying like, you know, one of your instincts was I'm doing a demonstration. I have to give a good look. Got to get back in there and keep participating. But as a teacher, not as the practitioner, but as the teacher, um, how should people, res you know, behave or respond when someone gets a head injury? Well, see, that, that it's a different story than it is today. Like, for instance, I'm a medical professional. Right. Sensei is not. Free Sensei was not, right? And so in that moment, the reason why I just attacked one more time is because when I came to, everyone was yelling at me. And you felt like it's, you had and to And I go. looked, and Sensei's standing there, and I go, oh, I'm at the photo shoot or something. And they just ran back out there. And then he just smashed me one more time. And then they go, oh, you're horrible. And then you get somebody else. It, remember, like this idea of head injuries, TBIs and CTEs. Wasn't and developed. No, it wasn't even a thing in the 90s, right? Only in the last 10 years has it become a real a real deal in football. Right. I was going to say, just, it's just football. Just football is where the, this issue is really developed. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I thought was interesting about in football, and I mean, obviously, you're, you're a Chinese medicine doctor. I'm not. But it's interesting to read these things. And one of the things about football, which I think was counterintuitive after they started studying it, was it wasn't the big traumas. I mean, big traumas count. They, they have huge effect, but that... People are getting micro traumas. Right. And they're getting the micro traumas way before the actual game. In practice. Practice and in Pop Warner and all that stuff. And that it's it's cumulative. It's cumulative. And it's not so much the the brain is hitting the sides. It's that it's the brainstem is twisting. Okay. And then that final blow is the blow that, that creates this massive thing. But you the, a lot of those people already had it. Like the other day, a famous actress, um, TV personality, visited the dojo. And while I was talking to her, they were like, everyone says, oh, yeah, this person has a drug problem. This person's alcoholic and all this stuff. But when I was talking to her, I was like, oh, my gosh, this person has concussion, sy concussion syndrome. What are, the, what, are the what are the signs for the layman? What are the signs of concussion syndrome? Uh, anxiety, depression, um, headaches, slurred speech. Mm. Um, Interesting. This like euphoric thing where you're kind of like, huh? And you go, what's this person doing? They must be drunk. So, you know, we've talked a lot about how practice has changed, how methodology methodology has changed. Do you think that um, the football situation, the research done around it, the horrible outcomes? I mean, a lot of those guys get the chronic brain injury; they commit suicide or or do some vi something violent. Um, have you seen in in your teaching career? on changes done on a, on a practice-wide for Aikido to minimize um, uh, brain trauma? No. No. People don't. It's like the dark secret that no one ever talks about. But yeah, you totally could get a, a brain injury. But that's if your ukemia was not taught to you in the beginning properly. Right. right? Everything has to be done in moderation, right? But if you don't teach someone properly how to roll, they're going to hit their head or twist their neck. Right. And that's where a competent teacher comes into play. A person who's competent, experienced, teaches you how to roll properly. Right. And then so you don't have to. Like, I, I, I spend a lot of time teaching ukemi. Right. Arm goes here. Footwork for this ukemi. 
so that people don't have to be like me and hit their head. Right. Don't have to figure it out through trial and error. Yeah. Like for me, I have like, you know, five concussions. I have two separated shoulders, two hyperextended elbows and a bad back. But my bad back was from from wrestling, wrestling way before Aikido. Right. But like th that those are all uh, um, the back problem was from unsupervised wrestling moves. Right. The 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 um, separated shoulders were from mistakes in Ukeni. What do you remember? What technique separated your shoulder? One of them was um, Ushirawaza Ikkyo. Ushirawaza Ikkyo, really? Yeah. What What about the way the person did the technique on you? So you can see the video right here, where the person does Ushirawaza cuts down so strongly that I'm not moving fast enough. It jerks the um, AC joint. That, that you get Hot. a separated shoulder, your shoulder, the separated shoulder, it's your AC joint, right? Your acromioclavicular joint, it's a breakaway joint, and it just went bam. Oh. And then I felt, I, as you can see, I fall to the ground, and then afterwards, the person just beats my butt. And then afterwards, they go, Dude, what was your problem? I go, Dude, I got injured. And then I was out for a while, a while, not, I mean, you saw the train, but you, you know, it was separated. So, you know, I've had the similar, I mean, I've had two separated shoulders on each side. Um, one of one of which was, I was at a, visiting a dojo, like the, one of the worst things you can do, right? Visiting a dojo, they were doing koshinage, and I was paired with like a sixth cue or fifth cue. And he does the throw and jumps and lands on me. Um, so like a makakomi style koshinage, only it was unintentional, it was not intentional. And he was a big guy. He was like 220, 230 and landed on my shoulder. And it just went, <laughs> AC joint popped. So whose fault is that? Um, It's mine. It's my fault, probably. No, it's not your fault. The teachers. It's your fault. It's his fault. And it's the teacher's fault. So like when, like back in the day, the year first since they died, the very first practice of the year, someone got injured and broke their wrist. Which created the bad omen or bad juju, which caused Free Senses to die two months later. For that later. year. Afterwards, Free Senses is all mad. I took the person to the hospital, and since he's all mad, and he's, he says it's this person's fault who rolled over the, his wrist, and he since he's all mad at this person. And then I said, no, it's that person's. It's the guy who broke his wrist's fault. It's the guy who threw him. It broke his wrist, and. and, and he ended up breaking his wrist. It's the guy who rolled over him and broke his wrist and the guy who threw him who rolled over. And it's my fault as the senior and it's your fault as the teacher. <laughs> of course, that didn't said, go for well. Oh, no, I flipped out. And I said, no, it's about responsibility. Yeah. I said, it's not any, any one person's fault. Multi-factor. Right. It's the, the people who caused the injury, the people who were throwing. It's, all, it's everybody's fault in the room, right? Because it's about carefulness. So is that the worst injury you've seen in the dojo? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Was it one wrist or was it two? Just one. Just one. But you know, for 17 years, I had not seen the only only injury I ever saw on the mat was a person was being thrown jujinage and separated their shoulder. Mm. But yeah. other than that, I had never we hadn't That's an inherently painful technique. Well, especially if you don't do it correctly. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like the person throwing was inexperienced. The person taking chemi was inexperienced. And then Furi Sensei wasn't supervising properly. And that brings up a really interesting uh, topic, which is the role of the teacher, not to isolate the role of the practitioner and the, and the uke, but, um, you know, I think one of the challenges is 
and I, and I was reading it and it came up in this Japanese study, they were talking about how mat management is important because the way people line up, the direction that they're thrown in can mitigate or exacerbate. Um, and so, as you say, like the teacher has to keep a certain eye on the practice to make sure that, that the, the space is being used in a safe manner. Right. That, and that, that, that it's again, teacher management, right? The teacher managing the space, managing the techniques, you know, spending all this time with the upper division black belts. Oh yeah, you got to do it like this while, you know, not really paying any attention to the new people. Right. Like where was the teacher when that guy throwing Kushinage was throwing you Kushinage? I don't remember. Did, it was so did long you ago. tell them to only load you? Did you recognize their level as being sixth, on, sixth Q yeah. as a black belt? If you did not, then there's a problem with your training. You right. should have known that this person is only 6Q and probably can't throw you Kushinage. Right. The person throwing Kushinage should have thought, I can't really throw, so I should only load. Right. The teacher should have prefaced the throw with, hey, you should only load if you're at this level. Right. If you're at this level, you should throw. If you're at this level, you can break fall. So that people understand how it all works. But what ends up happening, the teacher goes up, blasts the uke through the roof, right. and then everyone goes, oh, okay. And then everyone's trying to copy that. And when that person was trying to blast you, you weren't in the proper position because you weren't in control of your ukemi and right. you got hurt. Right. But then, you know, like we all, we all want to point the finger at other people as they're to blame. Instead them. of taking our own responsibility. Right. And so that's the hard part. Like, you know, for me, when you, when I think of injuries in the dojo, you have shoulder, back, the most common. Or shoulder and Shoulder, back, back and wrist. Right. Well, it makes sense. We do a lot of wrist wrist well, lock techniques. But shoulder, back, and wrist uh, wrist injuries come because you're not flexible enough and you're not taking the proper ukemi. Back injuries happen because we sit in chairs all day long. And we're not in shape. You don't have the back flexibility, and then someone throws you down, and then you hurt your back. So, again, uh, lack of conditioning, flexibility, whatever it is, and prop improper ukemi. So let me ask but you, then oh, okay, when you think about shoulder, shoulder is all about uh, improper technique. In, in what way, Sensei? Because most people, when they walk in, they have the 120 degrees of shoulder flexion, the ability to move their shoulder, right? So rarely do we have to, like, you know, stretch our shoulder to make it more flexible to take shikunage. Right. So it's, it's really about position, putting yourself in the proper position and proper body management. So that one's not really about uh, flexibility or lack of conditioning directly. So if you think about these injuries and how they come about, what like for instance, one of the biggest injuries people get is a um, meniscus injury mm, in, the, in their knees. Yeah, from tenkan, because they allow their foot to turn out like this, and it it, it disarticulates <clears throat> the knee. Right, joint. because your foot and ankle can internally and externally rotate. Your hip can internally and externally rotate, but your knee can only go flexion and extension. Mm. So when you turn your foot out and you turn your hip out, the thing in the middle, meniscus. It's the only thing that can them right. break, yeah. So how you manage your your tenkan, can, and that's the, one of the biggest injuries that people talk about is a meniscus injury. So th this, th is, as you were saying that, my brain started to turn um, and you're, this is very much about intentionality, in a sense. Yeah, and is it affectation, right? A lot of a lot of what we, martial arts is, is affectation. Oh, 
Yamaguchi Sensei did this, so I'm going to do this. Fury right. Sensei did this, so I'm going to do this, without really knowing why or having or doing it in the proper context. So that, to me, that raises this sort of really big question about injury, which I think we are, we've been vectoring to the whole the whole discussion, which is we talk about handling injury in Aikido, but in the beginning you you hinted and gave us a small direction that there is meaning to injury. Right. So. There's... So what? So what? What does that mean? What is what is the meaning of injury for the practitioner and for the teacher? Well, like I, I was saying before, that your first injury is your first hurdle in training. So if you get injured, right, that's that moment where you go, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> For instance, one time this guy came to the dojo and he hadn't trained Aikido in 10, 10 years, but he was like a third degree black belt. And the only two people in the class that showed up that day were black belts. So when they threw him the first time, he took a break fall. And then these two rocket scientists said, oh, let's just throw him. So they threw him Open for a whole season. They took turns throwing this guy for an hour break fall. The guy had been trained for 10 years. So I get an email from the person saying, I don't think I can do this. I hurt my back. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you should definitely not do this. And so the guy quit because he said that the doctor said, too if dangerous. You, if you keep doing this, you're never going to walk again. And the guy quit. Right. So this idea that like <clears throat> when you're going to when you're you get injured, it's your first it's hurdle. training. Well, it's training, but it's your first hurdle. And should I give up? Is right. this for me? It tests you. Yeah. It's your first test, your first real test. It's not it's not sixth Q or seventh Q. You know, it's your first injury to right. go. I don't know if I can do this. And then you go and then you persevere. You go, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll persevere. And you persevere through the injury. You know, and you come and watch class while you're injured and all this stuff. And that's your first test of perseverance, of developing perseverance and stick to So I'm coming off an injury right now. And, and one of the things that you and I have always talked about, because everyone gets injured if you practice long enough. And most of those injuries are recoverable. Um, this meaning that injury is is this challenge, is this test of your your will and your self power. Um, once you are injury injured, um, I guess there's two options for you depending on the severity of your injury. One is you can practice with modification. The other is you have to sit out and watch to, in order for your injury to heal. Um, could you like address those two different things and and how like. What do people do once they're injured? Like, how do they continue their practice? Well, like we said, it's it's this idea of your first test. So let's say you only come on Tuesdays, you get injured, and then the next Tuesday, you just don't come anymore. Um, that That's not good. Well, that shows that level, right? Because you think it's only physical. But you want to learn Aikido, right? And so you come and watch the class. But what you, you know, that's Miran Aikeiko, right? What are you going to watch and learn practice. So you're trying to develop your eye while you're watching this practice when you can't train. So, you know, like we have Zoom class and no one ever, I mean, few people come on. Right. But if I couldn't come to class and FreeSense was still alive. You'd do Zoom. I'd be watching in on Zoom to, to watch. Right. Developing my eye. So when you watch Aikido, what are you supposed to be looking at? So when I tell the students, which I don't know if I told you this, the first thing I say is, 
after you figure out what the technique is, right. whatever it is, then you watch the practitioner's feet. The feet, correct. So after you've watched their feet, you learn how they use the, their feet to do that throw. And then you watch their hips. Right. How do they use their hips to make the throw work? And then you watch how they use their upper body, shoulders and arms, right? To see how it works. And then you take a step back from that and you watch the practitioner and you say, you know, Joe below the sensei uses his hips to throw. Right. This guy, Fred, uses his arms to throw. And then you get you get to understand the mechanism of making the techniques, how techniques work. work. Right. So then you're just not sitting there going like, I'm serving my time on the side of the mat. Right. Right. Well, since it makes me calm and sit here, how boring. I want to get a workout in. So you, you can, it's still, it's a way to still be really active and develop. Like I wanted to, as, as you were saying that, I was thinking like, this has a direct transitional benefit when the teacher is teaching a technique and you're trying to figure out what is the important thing to look at? What am I supposed to copy and developing the, the visual uh, interface with, with yourself as a student. Right, because does your brain know if it's you or the other person doing the technique when you're watching it? Right. Your brain doesn't know any difference. It can't make any differentiation. So the more you watch it, the more you become like the, the sensei, right? So it's funny, like way back in the day in the old... Superman videos of George Reeves when the guy was there was a guy who was pretending to be Superman and the way he became the way he started to talk like Superman he said I look like Superman I talk like Superman I look like Superman and then it cha he changed into Superman but all he did was say I look like Superman I talk like Superman and then and then he became Superman and, you know, of course, that's stupid and it's not real, but that's, right. the, that's the idea behind, behind this idea of visualization. Your brain cannot determine if it's you or someone else doing it. So by you watching it and then you studying the movement, the movement becomes your movement. Hmm. And that's where you learn to learn to see Aikido. So that that's really one of the, the side benefits of, of, of having a significant injury is that you learn to train yourself at a level that you might not be as aware when you're sitting in the lineup. Right, and you think, but then if you think Aikido's physical only, you go, oh, boring, I can't get a workout. No, you gotta work your mind out. Right. Then you look at it, you go, this is this is Aikido. This is good Aikido, this is bad Aikido. So it's that's why uh, there, there are groups of people that think you should never show the technique wrong because the student uh -huh. will pick up the technique incorrectly. So that you should never watch bad Aikido. You should only watch good Aikido done correctly so that you can pattern your mind to do it correctly. Is that, I mean, you're, you're a doctor, so let me ask a question about this. What is the mechanism inside our brain? Is are we is our brain plastic? Yeah. And so when, when we watch something, that creates the repetition, and then when we do it, that reinforces the repetition, and that changes your brain. Yeah, and that creates change. So... So there's this idea that like, okay, people ask me all the time, do crystals work? Do essential oils work? And I go, I don't really know. Right. But what I do know is that if I smell this thing and I think of gratitude, that that creates a moment of mindfulness and that moment of mindfulness creates change. So this idea of neuroplasticity is that if I create um, one uh, 
neurotransmitter for gratitude by smelling that today, my brain will automatically make one tomorrow. And if I do it again tomorrow, it'll make two. So the next day it'll make two. And then I make, I do it one more time. It makes three. So every day that you do it, it creates more neurotransmitters for neuroplasticity for gratitude. And then, so if you did it for a hundred days, you'd have a, you're really developed, a really developed sense of gratitude because your mind created a hundred neurotransmitters to accept gratitude the next day. Right. And it's, so it's, so if you watch this one video of free sense of doing Aikido every day for one minute, your mind is creating a neurotransmitter to accept that the next day, that's two, four, six, eight, exponentially, your mind starts to think like that. So, the, I mean, the, like literally the first thing that sprung to my mind as you're saying this is we have to be very careful about what inputs we put into our mind. And that's why social media is so dangerous Dangerous because everybody's showing their greatest, their best, their yachts, their things. And then you go, wow, man, that guy from high school that didn't even graduate is a Chinese medicine doctor. Man, what am I doing with my life? Oh, I'm a piece of crap. Oh, I should kill myself. Right. Right. So the what did the Buddha say? The the road to despair is through comparison or something like that. But that's that thing. So when you're watching Aikido is being injured from, uh, from a visual uh, teaching method, you watch their feet, you watch their hips, hips, you watch their arms, and you watch how people create the mechanisms to create the throw. But then as you start to do, you will notice, oh, they were really close. They were really far. Oh, they turned their foot. Oh, they put pressure here. Oh, they use their arms. And then you start to become an astute judge of how what the mechanism of the, of the, the throw is. is. Right. You know, and then so that's how you, you train yourself off the mat. Because again, is Aikido physical, mental, emotional, spiritual? It's everything. It's all those things. Yeah. So in that moment when you can't come to class or you can't train, you watch. Right. And then by watching is how you develop your Aikido. Right. And so you know, but most people, they're not getting the workout. They just don't show up that day. Right. <laughs> Which is foolish if you're really trying to learn Aikido and time is of, a, of the essence. You need to get the inputs. Right. And then the other way is how do you manage the injury when you have it? That's hard to say because every person is different. Technically, you should not injure. You should not train if you are injured at all. But everybody trains when they're injured. Well, no, but you could you could compound that injury. Right. Right. Like if you have a back injury, you can make it worse. Right. However, when I was a student, one time um, in the while I was warming up before class, I pulled the muscle on my back because I have a bad back. I've had a bad back since I was 16. So Ugh. I've had a bad back for Your whole life. 36 years. Right. And uh, while I was warming up one cold morning, I pulled the muscle on my back and I was like, oh, man. And then I walked off the mat and I was just about, I told the, one of the guys, black belts, hey, I heard a muscle in my back. I'm going to go home. And then one of the other black belts ran past me, up to me and goes, hey, hey, you should stay. And I go, I heard a muscle in my back. I know, man. But when are you going to get the opportunity to train injured? And mm. if you train, you'll know what it feels like so that when it ever happens in a yeah. fight, it won't be deep water because you'll already be aware of it. And I'm like, Okay, so I come back on the mat, tried to nurse it, and then took the Fruit Sensei's class. And the whole time, like, Ugh, oh, and it limits your movement. But I right. got, I understood what it was like to feel that experience. Yeah. And then that's the same person who told me, 
hey man, let's throw ourselves 50 times break ball before class <laughs> so that you're so tired that you know what it feels like to be tired when you take the class. Oh, that's a good idea. And so we, we used to you create- You did it. But the thing is that, you know, the caveat or the, or the you know- The warning. The warning label on that is that you could make the injury worse. Right. Right, so you have to use your best judgment because you're kind of a psychopath. And you know, like one time- so I, prob- oh, I'm sorry, keep going. Like one time I was taking a hot yoga class and you know, because I like to suffer, I'm like looking for the heat vent and I put my, my mat down and the instructor comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know, this is the hottest spot in the room. And I go, yeah. But then in the middle of taking hot yoga, competing with everybody else, uh, pull the muscle on my back, oh. right? And so you have to kind of look at these things with, yeah, is, is this the time when I need to teach myself perseverance? Is this the time when I need to teach myself what it's like to fight people? And mind you, most people aren't really looking at it from this idea of fighting others. Right. And not that you should, because Aikido is not like that. But at that time, that's what I thought Aikido was. Right. So I wanted to know, so that if they ever drag me out to open water, I'll know how to swim. Right. Like there's this famous uh, Tiger Woods when he was at Stanford, there was a, um, a really bad storm came in. And then Tiger Woods was walking out with a bucket of balls and they're like, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's, it, you're it's not going to be able to hit rain. anything. And he goes, yeah, but now this is kind of like the British Open and I'll, I'll know how to hit balls in the rain, in, in the rain and in the wind. And the people are like, wow, what a psychopath. But that's that level of training that you're trying to develop in your own practice. M- practice. So I don't, I don't say that people should train injured, not that everybody isn't injured, but you have to understand like, What's the severity of the injury? Right, versus a a minor chronic injury. You know, and then everybody wears like the red tape on the shoulder and all this stuff, which I mean, I guess you got to do that to remind people. But that's, all these things that we take away are limiting people's ability to be mindful. Hmm. If I say before class, hey, everybody, I got my my wrist is messed up. People should be mindful of that. Not like, oh, I thought it was your right hand and you, you, you know. Like, no, you have to be mindful of the people you work with. You have to know, you have to instantly know people's weaknesses and strengths. And then you can attack their weakness, right? But then, you know, the shoe will be on the other foot. Thinking about all this and the way you've talked about it, um, I think when people are first injured, it's a very negative experience. They're like, I'm hurt. I feel sensory input like pain or, I, or you lose mobility. So pain, loss of mobility, um, and people's first emotional, I can't say for everybody, like if I'm speaking for myself, the first time you get an injury, so you said, you're like, oh, you have an emotional reaction to protect yourself, to not get further injured. But you know, from this discussion, it sounds like injury, as you say, one meaning of injury is uh, the challenge, the hurdle that you have to train against. Um, but it, it seems very much like injuries are an opportunity to develop your practice. Well, as is with all things, your boss yells at you, that's an opportunity to develop yourself. You get a a parking ticket, that's an opportunity to develop yourself. 25 cents would have saved me $60. Why did I not want to put the 25 cents in? Right. You know, it's like all those things that everything is just a test or a lesson in everything that happens to you. So So do you think that... um, how do how do students get trained in this uh, mental state and methodology? Like, how do students get access to that well, capability? For, for one, you have to you have to die, figure out what the Problem extent is. of your injury is. 
But then you got to talk to your seniors and your teacher, right? If your teacher goes, says, no, 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 you should not. Or the teacher goes, I don't know, that's up to you. But, you know, why don't you just baby that and then learn to move with it? Right. You know, but it all depends. Like, I can't tell you what you should or should not do. Right. I can only advise you as this is dangerous, this is not dangerous. And then, do, but do you need to learn perseverance? Do you, if the guy who shows up with the hurt wrist, but still watches class, you don't need to kind of tell them, hey man, you need to work through this because they already showed up. Right, they're trying to work through it. Right, but the other person who goes, I can't train anymore because I don't want to be paralyzed. Oh, I'm not coming back. That's the person you have to go, this might be the time that you should need to train because you need to push, you need to confront that story that I hurt my back. I should probably quit because the doctor said that I don't want to be crippled. Oh, come on, man. Like, you, for one, you haven't trained in 10 years. Two, you should have used your voice and said, hey, I shouldn't be break falling. Three, those two idiots that were throwing you probably shouldn't have thrown you like that. Right. Right. But like, that's that thing. Like, we need to understand, like, what is the, what is your objective? Are you a weekend warrior? Then you probably shouldn't train. Are you training to be a teacher? Are you training to for Aikido to be a martial art? It all depends, right? But that's this idea that when you something happens, you don't just immediately run away. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, one of the things I was thinking is I wanted to ask you, as um, not just the chief sensei, but as Dojo Cho, what is what is your what do you see in terms of reasons for people leaving practice? Is injury high on the list? No. No, it's not. Uh, difficulty, ease, ease of Aikido, I think, I think is the real problem. But that, So I don't think injury is a huge... Um, Cause of people leaving. No. It, 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 it causes people to leave, but it's, it wouldn't be the number one. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, thinking about like, where do you, when we talk about the, what is the meaning of, or what, how do we handle injury in Aikido? Um, what can we say to people who are not in their 10th year of training? How, what are the, the takeaways for um, the, the early student in terms of how to uh, approach injury and what what does injury mean? Because some people, they start training, they may have the, maybe their first real sports injury ever. Well, I mean, for, again, for one, you have to discuss it with the seniors and the teacher, right? Because you have to figure out the extent, of the, the extent of the injury and if it's safe or dangerous for you to train. And then after that, you have to figure out what was your role. And then the teacher should sit back and think about what their role was. And right. then the Nage should think about what their role was, right? But that's the hard part. Like, no one wants to take any responsibility. Oh, I just, one time a, a, a guy who had his own dojo came and taught class here, and he his first technique was Aikiotoshi. And then he threw this person who didn't know how to take that ukemi, and the person got hurt, got separated their shoulder. And then I come in, and I'm like, why don't you progress to that? Why don't you teach the ukemi for that? Why don't... And then they go, well, it's I, just the way I teach. And you go, that's ridiculous. But then again, like. But there are people that teach that way. And that's poor level of teaching. You should assess the room. You got you to read the room. Who can take what ukemi? And then you got to spend the time with the people who have the least level of ability. To develop them. Right. But what happens is you teach something cool and then you spend all the time working with the black belt because it's all cool. Then right. you just ignore the white belts. Like one time I went to this dojo and we don't do this at our dojo, but 
after the teacher showed the technique, the black belts train with the black belts, the white belts mm. train with the white belts. And that's that's bad too because the black belts are supposed to be shepherding the white belts, helping right. them develop. Um, develop, not just training with their friends because it's fun to train with their friends. I frown upon that. I want the black belts to teach. Right? If you bring up the level of ukemi, you bring up the room. You can practice harder, more right. vigorous. You want to practice harder and more vigorous? Raise the level of ukemi. Right, but then you think it just by throwing faster makes the, the makes the room go faster. Go faster, but it doesn't. You improve the ukemi. But that, but that that assessment something the teacher has to make. As you say, when you get to the front of the room, you start doing the warm up, and you see you have seven beginners and one black belt versus six black belts and one beginner. Those are very different environments to instruct. Right, most people don't have that because they already developed the curriculum in their mind for that day, the syllabus or the whatever you call it, and then they're they just going to do it. that thing. Yeah. Well, I was going to do Kushinage, might as well do Kushinage. Like, well, that's fine. Go ahead and do Kushinage. But can you create progressions so that people can do it fun and safely? Right. But the thing is that if you're not a person with a tremendous amount of experience or knowledge, how can you develop that? And so it comes back to this idea that the teacher has to be the most developed person in the room, has to be the most experienced in the room, and then you should only teach to your experience level. Right. Now, if you look at someone like me with 30, going to be Plus. 33 years of Aikido next year in a couple months, I can't teach to my experience level because my experience level is super high. Right. So generally, we teach to the lowest common denominator in the in room. In the group. So if, I, if I'm going to teach Shihonage, I look at it and I go, oh, there's nobody, there's a couple white belts. They probably don't know the ukemi. So when I'm in the middle of showing the technique, I show the ukemi. And then once I say, try it, the first place I go is to the white belts. Right. To make to sure that they're technique. safe and the people who know, who are throwing them, know. And then I watch them and I go, let's say a white belt's working with a black belt doing shihonage. And then the black belt's like pounding them. I'll go, hey, hey, hey. No. Right. No. Lay off. Lay off. Slow it down. And then, or I just get mad, right? But like. Because they should they should be helping them get up to speed, and not just well. I mean, you like the old days, <laughs> beat it out of them, right? Right. But I don't know if beating it out of them works. Right. I mean, it, I mean, eventually it may, but the, it's a long road, and you may get get hurt on the way. Uh, yeah, I just don't know. Yeah. And I, but I, what I what it comes back to is, would I want someone to do that to me? And the answer to that's no. No. So if, if I don't want it done to me, I, I should do one to others as I would want done to me. Right. So then you shouldn't do that. So the first place I go to after I demonstrate the technique is I go to figure out where the white belts are, watch them. And then I, yeah, that's why the teacher has to have 360 degree vision. So you're not just focused on this, the black belts and oh, it's doing it cool. Yeah. Watching my Ike porn. No, I have to go and make sure that the white belts are safe. Right. Cause the children are our future. Right. Right. Not this guy who's been grizzled. He's, you know, 68 years old, been doing Aikido for 50 years, is the guy that I want to focus on. And that person already knows how to fall. I want to go look at the white belts and make sure that they're safe because they've got a whole lifetime of Aikido experience right. ahead of them. And right. they're more important. So are there is, is there, you know, beyond some of the things we've already discussed, is there anything personal that you think it would be great to relate to especially young practitioners about your own injuries did you take did it create any meaning for you um not just in terms of like something to get past but 
do you have any um, self-observations um, that could be helpful to practitioners based on the injuries you experienced? Not necessarily the, the I mean, it, can, it's, it is my experience in injury, but as um, an acupuncturist who specializes in pain, like I always want to know what, what the meaning of injury is, right? So you have to really think about like, how did this come about? Is it just physical? The mo I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were throwing me in the wrong way at the wrong time. Or is there a deeper meaning to this, right? And so in acupuncture, we always talk about this idea of that there's a deeper metaphoric meaning. Shoulder problems are shouldering burden, hmm. right? Back problems are how we stand up in the world. Neck problems are how we hold our head up, right? You know, um, a person with a big toe injury is those people have problems tip touching, um, what's the metaphor or the, the, this, uh, the saying, uh, dipping your toe in the water, hmm. right? And so, you know, people with ankle problems have how they amble through life, right? And so, you know, you really think, step back from that injury and think, what is the meaning of this? How did this happen? And then you really spend this time not going, oh, that damn John threw me like this. So it's an yeah. opportunity for self-investigation. Right. And the whole, all of training is learning how to self-reflect. Self-reflect and change, right? So we talked about this idea of um, creating mindfulness, right. which creates this neurofeedback link, which creates change, right? And so you think about like, oh, you know, whenever, whenever I talk with Bill, I'm kind of a jerk to him. And then whenever we get on the mat, he always cranks it hard. For one, I need to learn how to use my voice and tell him not to do that. Two, I need to maybe change my relationship to Bill, the way I right. see Bill. Uh, three, I maybe just don't need to train with Bill, right? Because he and I have an interpersonal problem or something. But not just saying that, oh, that SOB did this thing to me. It's, it's so fascinating when you talk about this because it seems like, I know that we're kind of getting near the end, but it seems like injury offers the opportunity for change. Change is based on the inputs you put into your mind, which then create new judgments, new abilities, new experiences. Um, I mean, I think that in, in a way you've answered the question, you know, how do we handle um, injury in Aikido? And also the, the secondary question, uh, what is the meaning of injury? Um, is, there, is there anything that, you know, again, based on your experience, um, that would be a final observation for students, especially younger students, about injury, like any wisdom that you can impart as the teacher? Well, it's that to try to understand. Yes, it can be purely physical. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, did the wrong thing. It could be uh, the other's fault. They did the wrong thing at the wrong time. Right. Right. And then the teacher's fault for teaching the wrong thing at the wrong time. But other than that, like, what is my role in this? Why did this happen to me at this moment, at this time? What, what thing did I, when I struck that person, did I hold back? And then my, my rigidness created this created tension that caused this the injury. injury. You know, like uh, when I took my black belt test, I had two sprained thumbs and two sprained big toes at the same time, all four of those things. And the two sprained thumbs came the Friday before the test. We're doing ski and someone someone punched my, my thumb. And then a couple of techniques later, someone punched the other thumb. And then you're just like, 
oh, so then part of it is mechanical where I need to have my thumb not, not pointed inward and I need to, I need to offer the heel of my hand and not the, not the fingers, but also like how you move forward in life and grasp things perhaps. Ah, yes. This idea that it's not, it is physical, but there's also a deeper meaning to this idea and that it's people shouldn't just run away. Right. If, if millions of people are doing Aikido, then a million people can't be wrong. Right. So there must be something enjoyable, beneficial, you know, advantageous to studying this. If, the, if you're interested, maybe you're just not interested. So then when you get an injury, a broken toe or a wrenched wrist, like what is that meaning? And how do I apply that to my life? Do and I there's multiple levels oh, to gosh, apply that up. So many levels. Like, you, you, you know, why do you think my patients all hate me? Because I'm like, <laughs> hey, have you ever thought about the deeper meaning of this? I they don't want to think no. about it. No, they don't want. They don't want to talk about that, right? So, but I mean, that's how I view injury and pain. That's how I run my acupuncture practice. Somewhere along the treatments, I'm going to say, "Hey, you ever thought about the deeper meaning of this?" And that's hard for people in and out of practice. It's hard in daily life to take response because it means you have to take responsibility, right? Well, again, it's all about self-responsibility. Self-reflection, self-responsibility. Why did I run away? Why did I get hurt? When this happened, what, what was going through my mind? So in a sense, you know, again, I'm trying to find a way to summarize this, but it sounds like there's, there's Aikido really provides a philosophy for change that allows you to confront your obstacles. And, and one of those obstacles will probably always be physical injury. Right, because you're, you're living in this meat suit you know, fl floating through the universe on an uh, on this you know gigantic asteroid, and so you have to kind of learn how to move your body. Yeah. And then if you don't move your body the Aikido way, you're going to get an injury. And so you're trying to learn how, like, oh, well, why is that thing? Why did this happen? What's my responsibility? What's John's responsibility? What's Sensei's responsibility? Hmm, I understand. And then you learn, and you learn how to use your body. Right. There, there will always be some bump, bruise, scrape thing that's happened. And then you're, you'll have to learn to, to manage that, right? To from low back pain to shoulder pain to um, tight hips from sitting during the pandemic too long. You'll have to address something. You're a physical physical being. So it's it, it uh, again. What what you seem to be saying is there's there's a there's a real philosophy um, that Aikido has, um, and as the teacher you can help students learn that philosophy so they can do it themselves. Well, that, well, that's what you're trying to teach them. And I guess, I mean, I'm negligent because I don't spend time discussing that thing directly. It's right? collateral. Well, but also like, you know, for instance, it was like, I don't like you talking like that. <laughs> you know? You mean like the key talks? Not key talks, but just when I start talking about visualization and interpretation, he's like, I don't like it when you talk like that. Um, because the thing is that you become too philosophical, right? An injury sometimes is just an injury. And right. You have to learn to get out of the way, right? They they punched my thumb. It's really that I had to learn to pull my thumb back, right? And not and then offer my, the heel of my hand. That's In why I tell you guys, way. offer the heel. Don't offer your fingertips because if a smart person will just punch you in it, right. right? And so maybe an injury is just an injury, and it's just you need to learn perseverance to come watch class. Or maybe an injury is an injury because you need to dial it back a bit. Right. Or maybe an injury is an injury, so you need to stay home on Fridays and go on a date with your wife. 
Right. Well, so a lot of what you're saying is not only is it a philosophical, but it's one of the things you're trying to develop is judgment. Like I, I, I can think back of like all the injuries I've had. You kind of know whether it's an injury you can physically work through or well, the, you get that experience. It comes back to this. Like if you have to go to the doctor, you probably shouldn't train. Right. Right. But that doesn't mean you have to quit. But that doesn't mean you have to train the next day right. if you have to go to the doctor. But, I mean, that's kind of too broad because most some people go to the doctor for anything. Right. right. But you should, the first thing you should do when you get injured is talk with your seniors and talk with the teacher. Right. You know, and then from there you make an assessment. And then from there you figure out a timeline. Right. But like it's not like all things in life and Aikido. There's many layers to it. It can just be physical. It can be emotional. It can be mental. It can be spiritual. Right. I... Whenever I would work out and do a lot of working, a lot, a lot, a lot of weightlifting, like the, I feel it was all, emotional. Well, no, it was all I'd be all pumped up, and then I would get injured right after that. And that's because I was like trying to kill the people that I was working with, right? Right, and then I injured myself trying to kill them. And you think that's the problem that you're having? But if I just go, what a wimp, as I'm going like this, shaking my own hand that hurt my own wrist, throwing them down, <laughs> isn't that my problem, right? But like that's, but that's the thing, like. Training, especially Aikido training, is teaches you how to manage your own life. Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. Figuring out who you are and why you're here and why these things happen to you. If you always jam your left thumb, you need to think about why you always jam your left thumb. And figure that out. And figure that out. And then by figuring it out, it change, by, by being mindful of it, it creates change. And then that, that's all injury is. That that seems one of the probably the most to me the most exciting part of this discussion is um, how change can be positive through a negative experience. Well, one of the few ways for you to learn uh, to be in the moment is to experience pain. Right. Pain is the one thing. It's that, immediate. It's immediate. Well, it brings you back to the moment. You can't be thinking about the future and you can't be thinking about the past because that pain is there right then and there. Right, it brings you brings you back to the moment, right? So you have to think about this idea that pain can be like a Doctor Sarno's mind over back pain book, where you have back pain because there's something in your life you don't want to de deal with, and so you put the it localizes there. You put the emotion in your back, and then you fight with fight with your the low back pain, so you don't have to deal with that emotional problem, right? So should you train if you're injured? It depends. Talk to your right. teacher. Talk to your seniors. Should you uh, should you go to the doctor if you're injured? Depends. If yeah. it doesn't get better in two weeks, you should go to the doctor. Right. You know, or you should do acupuncture because that is much more beneficial. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it all depends what you what you believe. So is is there something that um, we haven't touched on with respect to injuries, um, the meaning of injuries, the process of injuries that that um, any observation that you want to get out to the students that we haven't covered? Not really, I mean, it's really, about, I mean, you could you could point the fingers at other people, they have a bad day, they have daddy issues, they have this, but again, it's you. It comes living, down to yourself. Yeah, how you're gonna interpret that. It, should you get injured, you get injured, you think, oh, should I, I should quit, this is not for me. Well, that's up to you, for you to decide. Not everybody likes eggs, right? So you keep ordering them because you, everyone says eggs are good for breakfast. But you should decide whether this what is you for like. you. Yeah. Is this for me? Do I, this is, do I want to change? Do I want to learn? 
And then, well, I'm only doing this because my dad told me to. Do you like it? Do you want to do it? Right. Life is short. It might seem long, 100 years long, but it's, life is short. Right. It goes fast. It goes fast. So you should only do the things that you want. And then you have to ask yourself, like, where am I in this in the spectrum of in, an injury? Did it happen because I I was wrong? Did it happen because this other thing happened? It's all interpretation. Well, I think that that's probably a good uh, spot for us to finish on. Hopefully, I didn't talk all the way around it. But uh, well, everyone, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to like or subscribe to this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.